Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is Session 171. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we're going to take a little deeper look at the chapters that we just covered, specifically chapters 29 and, uh, and 30. And uh, yeah, probably 31 too. So I'll warn you right off, this may not be of great interest to many of you, but uh, it may be of great interest to some of you. So I'm throwing it in. So if you don't like this session, hey, it'll get better, particularly when we cover the golden calf in the next session. But uh, I've included a couple of handouts with this session on priestly vestments, because the priestly vestments in the Old Testament are talked about in chapter 28. And if you read through chapter 28, you'll see that each vestment means something. And we will see through the handouts primarily that I'm going to provide you with this session that the priestly vestments in the Catholic Church all mean something. And I'm not going to go over them verbally with you because for those of you who want to read about it, I think it's covered pretty well in the handout and I think you can read as well as, as I can. But in chapter 28, if you want to turn there, uh, Aaron has already been designated as the, the primary chief priest, right? And his, his sons will follow, will follow suit. But we see in verse two that these vestments are sacred. Okay. And, uh, they're supposed to be set apart, if you will. You can see this, uh, in the description that the, the whole ceremony was very important to the Israelites, as is the Mass. Everything about these vestments, etc., symbolized something about man's relationship with God in the Old Testament. And in verses uh, 21 and 29 of, of Exodus chapter 28, there is symbolism in a garment for the 12 tribes of Israel. So our, in our own Catholic priestly vestments, we have a continuation, don't we, of, uh, of the Israelites. We, as I said before, uh, the Catholic Church is the, the Jewish faith that is completed, if you will. Um, there is symbolism in each garment for the New Testament. Each article of clothing rep that the priest wears represents both an event in the Passion of Christ and a reminder to the priest of his obligations. So I'm just going to tease you here. I'm not going to tell you the answers to any of them, but they're in the handout. So if you want to know the significance of an amos or the alb or the cincture, or the maniple, or the stole, or the chasuble, it's in the handout. And it will tell you for each one of these things the historical origin of these vestments, 
and the symbolic reference to something in the in the passion of Christ. So read it if you if you will. So chapter 29 deals with the consecration and ordination of priests. And again, I'm going to point out the continuation between the ordination ritual of priests in the Old Testament and in the New. Notice the emphasis on ritual cleansing in verse 4 of chapter 29. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's um, you know, you, you have to, well, let's, let's just read it. Aaron and his sons you shall also bring to the entrance of the meeting tent and there wash them with water. All right. And so when we enter church, what, what's the first thing that we should do? We dip our hands in holy water. Why? Well, partly it reminds us of our own baptism, but also we're symbolically washing off the impurity of the world when we go before God. So again, another example of how Catholicism is completed Judaism. You don't see that in the Protestant world. Uh, furthermore, there's anointing oil in verse 7. Uh, there's a presentation of a gift of a sacrifice to God, uh, a lamb, obvious reference to Christ in the New Testament. And in this ordination in verse 20 of that chapter, 29, the candidate received blood on his right ear his right hand, and his right foot, symbolizing that he was to, what? Listen to the Lord, that's the right ear, do the work of the Lord, that's the right hand, and to walk in holiness with the Lord, that's the right foot. So this might remind us of our ritual before we hear the gospel. What do we do? We, we cross our forehead, we cross our lips, and, um, uh, you know, we, we, we cross our, our, uh, breast, if you will. So what does that remind us of? Or why do we do this, in case you were wondering? Well, we are to receive the word of God with the whole head, you know, with our whole mind. That's why we cross our foreheads. Uh, the, the word of God should be on our lips. That's why we uh, cross our, our lips. And the word of God should be in our heart. That's why we, we cross our breast or our heart area, right? So I, I think you can see the continuity between Judaism and uh, Catholicism. Okay, then there's this ordination, including oils, you know, which, which means... Uh, um, uh, you, you know, if you're anointed, you, that means that you are, you are, uh, or, ordained with, with oil. And so it is in or, <clears throat> in ordination, uh, in, in our Catholic Church. It means that you are, the oil seals you, you, you become a new creation in, in Christ, so to speak. Uh, the ordination, in fact, the ordination we are told in chapter 29, of a priest takes seven days. What else do we think of when we think of seven days? Creation, right? And so a priest becomes a new creation 
in Christ with a new assignment, if you will, when he is ordained to the priesthood. So uh, now, uh, and by the way, not anybody can just be a priest, right? You have to be ordained. Somebody has to ordain you. And we in the Catholic Church say you must be ordained by what? A bishop, right? Who himself was ordained, if you go back in his career, by another bishop and so forth and so on, all the way to the apostles. So you can't just, in the as in the Protestant world, you can't just say, well, I feel called to do this. And without that call being validated by uh, a bishop and without the, the appropriate, uh, uh, you know, thought process and training in, involved. So in the Protestant world, in many churches, you can just, you could start your own church tomorrow. You could call it the church of what's happening now. But that wasn't the case in the Old Testament, in Exodus, as we read. And it isn't the case now. You have to be ordained, and we uh, believe in apostolic succession. So each person who is ordained a priest uh, is has been ordained by a bishop, and in a in an un, in a continuing line going all the way back uh, to to Peter there, who was ordained by Christ. Okay, now. Uh, what else do I want to point out? Uh, well, it says there's supposed to be a burnt offering altar. And in the New Testament, the parallel would be the burnt offering altar deals with what Christ did for us on the cross, uh, the, the door to heaven, if you will. There's also an incense altar in chapter 30 that deals with what Christ does for us in heaven, in his intercession for us. Incense symbolizes what? Incense symbolizes our prayers of praise going up to heaven. Um, in Psalm 141, David said, let my prayer before you go before you as incense. Uh, then in chapter 30, verse uh, 15 and 16, there's a good message for stewardship week. Everyone registered must contribute to the support of the tabernacle. I think we covered that a bit in the, the, last, uh, the last session there. Okay, now I've also included for this session a, um, a picture of the tabernacle, the tabernacle diagram as is supposed to be set up in uh, in the book of Exodus here, because you already heard reference to the tent, to the lampstand, to the unfortunately called table of showbread, where it's more literally called the bread of the presence, capital P. And, uh, and then there's the altar of incense, then there's a veil, and then there's the Ark of the Covenant. That's the holiest of the most holy place, right? Um, and we already talked about the Ark of the Covenant. But uh, I hasten to add, not anybody could just go in to the uh, to the most holy place. It could only be the high priest. And we'll talk about that more in other sessions. Um, but I want you to take a look at the tabernacle diagram that I've included in the handout to this session. 
bear in mind that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. But let's walk through the steps the high priest would need to take to commune with God. So, uh, or you could pretend that you're Indiana Jones trying to figure out how to get to the, the lost ark. Okay, now, uh, this is for the high priest only to enter, but remember that Jesus says we are all now a royal priesthood in a sense per, and he might want to write this down, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We are all a royal priesthood in the sense that we are all to proclaim the word of God. Okay, so you've got the diagram in front of you, and you're a priest. Okay, before you can enter... Um, you have to do what? You have to recognize your sin while you're still outside. Okay. Then you second step, you recognize the sacrifice of Christ symbolized by the altar of the burnt offering. Now you're inside the tent. Okay, you recognize the, your sin. But you, um, you first thing you pass through is the altar of the, the burnt offering. So uh, you have to recognize the sacrifice of Christ, which is symbolized by that altar of the burnt offering. Uh, the third step is you've got a laver there. Did I mention in the last session that the laver is where you're supposed to wash yourself, right? Because you're still not in the Holy of Holies. So you've recognized the sacrifice in the New Testament means you've recognized the sacrifice of Christ. And now you're cleansed in this laver, you know, with the water. You wash yourself. You're, or in the New Testament parallel, you're cleansed in baptism and you further cleanse yourself from the world when you dip your hand in the holy water as you enter the church. Okay, um, you walk further in the New Testament, you're walking with Christ. Um, you see the light of the world from this lampstand over to the left as you're, as you're walking in. And we recognize in the New Testament that the light of the world is no, no one other than, than Jesus. And then you experience Jesus through the bread of the presence, which is off to the right. Right. Unfortunately, this uh, this shows the table of showbread, but as I mentioned last time, the Revised Standard Version and all literal translations of the Bible refer to this showbread as the bread of the presence, capital P. So you recognize the presence of God is is there, just as we do uniquely in the Catholic Church. Okay. Now you go to the altar of incense where you offer up prayers, right? And then we we come across this veil, the veil that kept you from the glory of God. Well, in Matthew, if you recall, you might want to write down uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, uh, as Christ, when Christ died, that veil was torn in two, symbolically meaning that we can now approach God directly. So here is a criticism 
um, given to Catholics by, by some Protestants. They say, you don't need a priest anymore to approach God because when Christ died, the veil was ripped in two, and now you can approach God directly. Well, in, in a sense, they're right. You don't need a priest to approach God, but you do, uh, you, you do need a priest in the sense that the priest is only acting in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. So when you receive a sacrament from a priest, you are not receiving that sacrament from the priest, but actually from Christ through the priest who is acting in persona Christi. So I want to emphasize that. Well, bottom line is, I think you can see from the last two sessions, the continuity of worship in both the items used in worship and the process of worship between uh, the original people of God, the Israelites, and we Catholics, we Christians, who have been grafted on to, uh, to that branch, if you, if you will. So um, this would be, if you are a Protestant, much of this, uh, these last two sessions would make no sense to you. But now that you've looked at Exodus, you can see that we are truly the continuity, uh, the continuation rather, of, of the faith handed on originally by God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for continuity. Most of all, we thank you for the continuity of your love for us and your willingness to send even uh, your, your, your dearly begotten son, your first, your begotten son, uh, to pay the price on the cross for our sins. But it's evident that you do take worship very seriously. Um, and uh, we should as well. So we thank you for these instructions, and we we thank you for um, for giving us a way to to worship you. Help us to be cleaned of all transgressions when we uh, when we enter to enter into your house of worship. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.